Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the eastern border. Once again, together with, uh, well, Viktor, who's at this point not in Ukraine, with a lot of news from there. We have some news about Nadezhdin's campaign, some interesting things about Yandex, too, going on, which I'll ask you to comment, but that's going to be again at the end, which I know you love. But first, I want to hear how it's been, what you have been doing, and, well, you're more in Ukraine than not lately. So, what's up? Yeah, hi. So I've been back from Ukraine for two weeks now, already feels like a very, very long time. Summarizing my trip, basically I went there again with kind of less of an idea what I was supposed to do besides like some humanitarian missions. Everything that I planned to do didn't happen and lots of things that I didn't plan to do happened that were really mm, important. <laughs> I sense that you have now accepted the realities because that's exactly how I uh, treat these things yeah yeah no 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 no. plans are just vague directions that of things that are maybe possibilities and the closer you get to the war zone the more brutal it becomes yeah 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 and and we did go there this time so basically what i'm doing at the moment is focusing a lot on the different ngos that are working there volunteer community and all of that because there's a very specific situation right now because I'm mostly all of this that I'm talking about today, basically all of this is taking place in Kharkiv. And I think Kharkiv is a city that is not talked enough about. It's in well, in the northeast. It's 25 kilometers from the Russian border. It's 100 kilometers from the front line. It's getting bombed very regularly. It got bombed quite heavily while I was there. And um, even just after I left again, always, because that always happens. Yeah, these daily bombings of, of cities. I've also heard some, some Odessa got hit again recently. Mm -hmm. That too. Yeah. And it's one of those things that, that, you know, people always forget that those deaths of civilians and damage of infrastructure, it's ongoing. Yes. Even when I say sometimes in my show, it's a quiet day on the front. I mean, 
everything's happening and blowing up in the background and it's quiet relatively to some other days, but it doesn't mean that nothing's going on, just remember. But yes. We can get to the quiet of the front later. That's really important right now because I got much more of a sense of that and what that means. But basically, Kharkiv, in contrast to Odessa, is the place in Odessa you get an alarm and then you have like 30 minutes to react. In Kharkiv, basically you hear the bomb and then the alarm goes off. And there was lots of that. So throughout the whole time, there was multiple different bombing runs. Some of them were for very petty political reasons, like, oh, this thing happened, they bombed the place in Belgorod or something, or there's a Ukrainian festival. That's Christmas, let's bomb them at Christmas. And all of that happened. And I got basically, I got the Christmas bombing run. Then in between, there was just some testing. Then I got... One bombing run where I was outside, I was walking back, not in a very good condition, let's say. I was just 30 minutes before the curfew happened, because there is a curfew, of course, in Kharkiv, starting at 23. And I was walking back and I couldn't get an Uber or like Uklon or those equivalents to Uber. And so I had to walk and walking back through Kharkiv is a terrifying experience because it's the second largest city of Ukraine, but it goes black and it goes silent and it goes very, very dark. You don't even recognize the places you're walking. And I was walking back there and I literally heard explosions, walking more. Suddenly I'm next to a subway station. There's lots of people with flashlights pointing at you. I don't know what the hell is going on. Nobody talks to me, just passing me. Nobody talks. Everything's silent. Suddenly a siren goes off just like five meters next to me, which is insanely loud. And then I heard a very weird sound, which was a rocket sound, but it sounded kind of shitty. It definitely wasn't a Shahid. Shahid, I heard the same night night too, but it was a North Korean missile because the next day we got the news. Oh, yeah, they just tested the North Korean nuclear missile. So officially now I got nuked without nuclear warhead. And I can tell you they sound shit. They sound like a shit rocket. Like I know how a rocket is supposed to sound, but this, they sound shit. <laughs> Victor, Victor, welcome. This is this is one of the things that you can never forget. This is always what I, what I tell people. You can tell different ammunitions, rockets and all this stuff by sound easily. Yeah, and, and you can tell the quality of them. It sounds, sounds basically like a squirting lawnmower mixed with a rocket. It's very weird. Sounds like like the fuel is not like you can hear the fuel is not getting burned. It's bizarre. But yeah, that's the city of Kharkiv where all of that takes place. And the two things, two things. First of all, there's the community of aid workers, volunteers, NGOs active in Kharkiv. They have been there for two years. They have built a network. They are more effective. Than ever before, they have all the stuff they need. They have the connections. They are established and all of that. And they're doing an insane work. I can talk a little bit about specific NGOs. This is the thing I'm documenting now. This is the documentary series that I'm working on at the moment. And this is the one thing. Second thing is now that they are all set up and everything is going more effective than ever, they're lacking the money because now people are donating less. And this is the thing that's so important. That's the non-government funding. That's the things for like, oh, we have an emergency. We need stuff. A car is broken down. All of that stuff. All of that stuff is covered by these Ukrainian NGOs like Hux. I will talk a little bit about a little bit because they are actually the difference. They are the big difference between Ukraine and Russia, because Russia is just fighting on their own. Because to my knowledge, I don't think there's any like civilian volunteering or any of that in Russia. But in Ukraine, there's internationals and crazy life that they're living there. 
what left the biggest biggest impact for you there? How do these people survive? Have they lost someone? Yes. There's a couple of things that happened that were really changing. I mean, the first one is I would talk to this one guy who's working at Hux, who just left. He is an ex-SWAT guy. He used to be a model. He used to <laughs> fix clocks, actually. And um, he told me how many friends he had. He had and they know the number exactly. And he said, like... Of 57 friends I had lost here, uh, 57 friends I had here, and of them, only two are alive now. That's a thing that happens, and that was the basically just a foreshadowing for what was later happening. Because one thing that is very important for the war at the moment is these people are set up, these people are there, but after two years of war, how much is left of them is the question, because some of these soldiers are not in a very i can't i don't want to judge them i'm i'm no i don't know about tactical psychology and all of that but combat effectiveness of after a certain time drops if you think about something like roman empire a legionnaire how, how many days of battle would they get like if if they were like in heavy heavy campaigns maybe like two months in total and these people fought literally, some of them have like more than a full year of combat experience. Like, I can't judge these people. Um, I, I can't walk in their shoes. I don't know how that is. I can't say anything about that. But we literally had a guy who was there telling everybody, I love you. Um, I'm there for you, trying to help me. He set me up with some really important contacts. He was very nice to everybody. And that same evening, a soldier... He lost a guy. He just came from a funeral. A German guy he lost. Um, that same evening in the back of his truck, he tried to blow his brains out uh, with a revolver. And we took out the revolver of his hands. Not me, but another great guy. Um, and uh, I was there when they took out the bullet. Some of these people, people are shattered at this point. And I don't... Those are the internationals. I don't know how the situation is for the Ukrainians. But having met some of them not much different do they get uh, some psychological help can they get some help i know there's a shift in consciousness about mental health in ukraine at the moment and there was actually um, a conference about that mm -hmm. that a friend of mine attended and told me lots about uh, there's lots of professional ngos coming into the place and there's consciousness about it there's funding programs and all of that but having talked to the people there no <laughs> None of that. As, as you were in Ukraine, I went to a conference for Baltic journalism. Mm -hmm. And a lot of stuff that I heard there, it was also a bunch of people who are trying to, well, not, don't get me wrong, they're trying their best. But it was the situation where I could tell that these people are, you know, judging about the war based on their own experiences, which are oftentimes, let's just say, not very accurate. No. So, so a lot of people are are kind of like they don't exactly understand why and and and, and what's going on there exactly. So, and they were the Ukrainian journalists doing their job, mm -hmm. and I got annoyed because these, um, you know, the people who haven't been there, right? They're the kind of people who ask them questions that we would find nonsensical at this point. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's you have to learn how to speak to people. How do you talk to somebody who just lost? A friend. I had this situation where this soldier was telling everybody, I love you and all of that. And I was thinking, like, I saw this guy was not doing well. And I just, I know I'm like a green guy who has no idea about combat and all of that. And I was just 
I don't want to give you any advice, but please take care of yourself. And he told everybody, I love you, I love you. And I was like, okay, you love me because every human feels love for every other human. It's But soldiers are very connected to that, especially the closer they have been to death for a prolonged time. And I was thinking, so what do I say to him? And I was like, okay, that means I take care of myself because I have a responsibility, because other people love me. And that was enough to snap him. And he took off his shoe, literally, wow. gave it to me and says, like, walk in it. Take a uh, walk in my shoes. This is, sounds like a weird analogy, but he did that. And I was like, I can't, man. I don't know. I just wanted to say, don't kill yourself in the most diplomatic way possible. Mm-hmm. You have to imagine those people sat in a room with a grenade in their hand, took out the pin, thought about it, and put it back. Most of them did. The ones that I asked, a couple of them did that. It's insane. I just, I just want to support these people. I don't know what else to do because you get back and now I'm here and it's every, everything's very comfortable. It's Germany. What do you do? Um, you can just have money. You can have a job. You can have an apartment. You just work for it, whatever. And then you're there. The question is, okay, Christoph's thought experiment. You know this better than I do. What does it mean to give everything for a cause like literally your everything how much is that is that just your life no sadly that isn't that's not enough that's where it ends that's the easy way out the long way out that's what i saw this time the long way out means you lose your friends you lose your friends in ukraine but also your friends at home your family and all of that you lose your connection as people come to Ukraine and it's difficult to speak to these soldiers, it's the same way around. How do you come back and then speak to your friends about things? They, do they understand? Do, do they still speak the same language as you? Probably they don't, unless they have seen stuff. And then you carry this with you. That's a great sentence from um, a guy, Hefrik uh, Munker. He said, like, you carry the war inside you around you like a war zone today doesn't end where the battle lines go you carry the war with you around you wherever you go and you touch people and they touch the war through you it's insane and you can feel this you can see those in this in their eyes they got the ukraine eyes i call them that is that is also what i 100 percent there is something in their eyes and it'll never go away too it will never ever go away sadly and we all, we all, like, I know that, you know that. How many people know that? It even continues from there. You lose your friends, you lose your ability to talk to them, you lose your mental health, you lose your physical health. And then you don't live in, like, a glorious apartment. I saw the apartments where they live, and it's not judging them, but it's, like, you don't, like, obviously you don't, you don't live in, like, a clean apartment when your world is broken and breaking down. We've been to Kramatorsk, a city very close to the front line, and it was an insane trip. Be- I sent some, I think I sent some pictures on the Discord, but there's like constant fog. You see 50, kilom- 50 meters, 100 meters. There's, it sounds apocalyptic. There's black burnt trees coming from the earth, like insane skeletons. There's destroyed buildings there. It's another world. It literally looks like hell. And then they're living there. And then they tell me, oh, this today, this is good weather. 
because the drones can't see you and it looks like hell it literally looks like hell and you have to live in that and you have to live in that wet dirty you are now being confused which is normal it's normal it's normal for victor for you to feel that way it sounds stupid but it it, it isn't if you think about it because like you said it's it's what you either have to deal with it somehow or or you simply just don't deal with it and yeah if you don't deal with stuff like this then yeah question again uh, about what what are the aid organization doing? What's happening? Your personal experience is one thing, but I'm pretty sure our listeners want to know what's going on through through everything. Okay, yeah, and there's basically different stages. Starting literally here in Germany, Düsseldorf, very close to me, a friend of mine, Ben, who has a great NGO called The Drum. And it starts with people just collecting aid, collecting things. And by the way, please, at the end of this, I want to talk a little bit more about like ways literally everybody can have a big impact on Ukraine for free. I will talk about that a little bit because that's really important. Everybody can do something. But it starts here. You collect children's toys, you collect food, you collect some just some nice stuff to give to people. Like don't even think about what would you like to see right now? Get some fresh socks, give them some presents, whatever. Collect whatever you can, clothes and all of that. Just drive to Ukraine and give it to villages more or less close to the front line. That's basically what that it starts off. That's the easiest version of this. Drive to Ukraine is uh, not recommended for people who are not me or you or uh, professionals. Let's just say that. But uh, about these charities, which one? Which ones do you recommend? Which ones people should donate to if they can? The local ones, at least in Germany. The ones that are close to you in Germany. Um, go to the drum, and also I'm setting up my own right now. If you're in the area of West Germany, vaguely, uh, hit me up, please. There's something you can do and I can tell you some concrete instructions for stuff you can do. I work with the drum by Ben. Great one. We drive there all the time now, going the, back there very soon. Although this time I will drive alone because I will have a ridiculous army vehicle for some reason that I might get into later. Um, that's a, just the most insane car in the world. But so that's how it starts. That's the easy version. Then you go to Ukraine and then you have the organizations doing like stuff in Ukraine, like civilians, frontline adjacent basically that is the next stage and then you have the ngos that are doing the very crucial work in the i call them frontier cities specifically kharkiv and that's the most important ngo that i spent most of my time with it's an ngo called hux uh, which means humanitarian ukraine ground support which is founded by a great guy called paul hughes who you will meet in the documentary that i'm shooting right now and that's coming out on the first of march they have a garage and they fix cars. This is insanely important. Cars are everything. You drive over shitty roads, tired, stressed, with quality of drivers around you varies greatly. You drive there in Ukraine, you, you break your cars. This is everything you have. Your cars are your freedom. I am a big environmentalist guy, very annoyingly so. I uh, annoying vegan public transport guy in Germany. I go to Ukraine and I'm like... You are the least vegan, vegan person I know. I am not vegan in Ukraine. It's impossible. I cannot and I won't because sausages from gas stations are my life in Ukraine. That's my bread and butter and that's how I live. And only people who have uh, been to Ukraine and seen this will understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ukrainian gas station food is what you live on. <laughs> And it's good. Which ties again to the same thematic because gas stations are insanely important. So Hugs Ukraine fixes cars. That's what they do. They have a garage, they fix cars, they have some other programs, mums and tots. They uh, also support mothers whose 
husbands are most likely in the war and who are um, taking care alone of their children. That's where I'm going to give all the clothes and all of that stuff that I'm collecting in Germany at the moment too. So they fix cars. It's insanely important. Basically, everything we did in Ukraine evolved around cars. And we definitely didn't steal a very important car at some point, And it's all in the documentary. Definitely not. W didn't happen. Didn't happen. And I was not involved in that. Like that one time when we totally, uh, when you totally did deliver the car back on time. I did worse than that. I did way worse than that. Uh, but yeah, that's what, that's what hugs do. That's the next stage of Ukrainian support. And that's literally insanely important. They are just fixing cars for free for people is keeping the war going it's getting soldiers to the front line i at the moment i have a fundraiser for a guy we almost completed it uh, to fix his car and that's great talking about cars uh have the guys from latvia continued to send cars there because that doesn't make any news anymore here but i'm, I'm pretty sure they the guy that gave us peremoga might still be you know doing it i hope that he is i don't know I also have a very great idea for an environmentalist program, which is called Fuck You Stupid SUV People, You Are Cringe Unless You Send Your Car to Ukraine. That's my program. Get those stupid Land Rovers and all of that out of the cities. They are cringe before the war. Now they are just unbearable. What the hell are you doing? It, if you're rich, just get a, get a different car. But if you get an off-road capable car, just send it to Ukraine. And, and and relieve yourself of your cringiness. <laughs> Remove cringe by, by sending an SUV to Ukraine. Yes, yes, absolutely do that. Then the SUV, by the way, has a chance of exploding very quickly, which also kind of makes it better. Hello there, and thanks for listening to another episode of The Eastern Border. Dear Patreons, thank you more than ever for supporting our show. Your donations are crucial to keep us going and right now all of your money is going to securing good information for you and to fund Kristov's actual real-life mission to Ukraine to report to you live about the war that is going on there. Also, we would like to use this opportunity to urge you to donate to other organizations that are helping people escape Ukraine safely and to defend the country for those who decide to stay on the ground. One such organization we would like to highlight is the Defending Ukraine Together Come Back Alive movement. Launched in 2014, the Come Back Alive became the biggest organization providing support to the armed forces of Ukraine. You can donate directly from their webpage comebackalive.in.ua. Remember that no donation is too small. In this situation, every dollar matters, every cent matters. If you're uncomfortable with giving money to war, they do have a position on their website that they are providing Ukrainian army with laptops, lights, photo equipment, cables, and is not purely military. Perhaps that might change your mind, but remember you can also donate to strictly humanitarian organizations such as the Red Cross and others that are helping people escape Ukraine safely. Please also keep following us on social media for all of your latest updates on Eastern Border on places like Twitter and Facebook. Keep listening, keep yourself informed. That's all from me now. See you online. I took a journey to the next stage of NGOs, if we follow that thread, to the front line. 
NGOs, those that are bringing stuff from those second stage storage facilities and all of that, the whole structure of logistics and networks of getting aid to Ukraine, they take that directly to the front bank people. And those people are insane. I work with one guy, Jack. If you want to support somebody, um, I will find out how you can support him. Uh, do that. I helped him prepare his ambulance for the event that he got an ambulance we painted and all of that and then, then he went on a trip basically along the f whole front line and uh it's insane i have the deepest respect for these people they are so crucial because they bring back the humanity into the war those who go to the front line and working with the soldiers it's very important and also the soldiers the volunteer soldiers i know themselves um i met one guy who in the end i fought like He looks kind of like an asshole, but turned out to just be British. Ah. And then he said, okay, let's go on a trip. And we went to the humanitarian catastrophe, which is still taking place in Kharkiv, because you have to imagine Kharkiv, great town, beautiful town in the center of town. You can almost forget the war if you don't look too close at the burnt roofs of basically every third building. But then you go to Saltivka and you are inside a humanitarian catastrophe, inside huge buildings, Khrushchevkas, you can probably pronounce that better. Khrushchevkas, yes. And they are half destroyed and half occupied still. And that's where also many NGOs are spreading the aid because there's an ongoing humanitarian catastrophe since two years. He took me there, this guy. Uh, it's the guy whose car we are fixing and... Um, Please, if it didn't happen yet, just send the rest of the money. We'd need like 120 euros still. And then it's done. And then we can go over to the next things because he needs to go back to the front line. And he showed me all of that. And it was heartbreaking because these people also live there in this area. And it's huge. And we went to the most destroyed buildings I've ever seen. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And took the tour and then you enter these burned ruins and there was one moment where i walk into an apartment of somebody and i see a corner with two things first thing was ceramics destroyed on the ground some of it still in pristine condition just like plates and cups and cute little things like ducks and all of that from ceramics and the second thing was just a pile of white ash because the whole apartment 
burned to nothingness besides the ceramics because that of course doesn't burn and you have these apartments and you go out and then it's snowing so the windows are broken of course if there is even a window and just not an open wall and there's snow on the ground fresh snow and you see the footsteps that are leading into the other apartments with closed doors because people are still living there since two years and it's minus 18 degrees it's insanely cold and they are still living there hard to understand i don't know it's it, you, you have in different levels of internally displaced people you have people who are just internally displaced within their own building because their apartment doesn't exist anymore and they just move into the next one where the family fled to lviv or kiev or something um and then we were there i left ukraine and then i get a message the next morning saying like oh yeah there was a high altitude bomber which for some reason nobody talked about in the news that this is happening because everybody imagines there's rockets flying but no you actually have huge transport airplanes which can carry tons literally tons of explosives and just release them all at once and where do they release them into saltivka why do they release them in saltivka because that's where russia lost kharkiv kharkiv fucking important and they lost it and they're petty about it so they are bombing the highest density area where they lost out of pettiness and sheer sadistic brutality so where i was standing the place doesn't even exist anymore where i was filming nope not existing anymore they burst the pipeline the whole street exploded and that was it a day after i left ukraine three days after i was literally in that spot at the same time of the day insane and yeah that happened i was there um with a bunch of eight i had a very expensive military backpack which i gave to this guy and i had some pulse oximeters and then the most typical thing for ukraine happened a certain soldier got called into action wanted to go there no the car broke down wanted to go there again my uh, friend grim he volunteered to drive her to ukraine uh, i met her just days before i had these pulse oximeters which we bought from funding also from funding from your community which is awesome and i gave one to her they both went to drive to the front car broke down chaos in the garage of hux oh no what we're doing uh, there's a car broken down what the fuck can she not just uh, hitchhike there no paul hughes the guy who owns the garage comes in and says no we, go, we gotta help these people we gotta go there gotta drive there we empty his car drive there pick them up bring them back drank some beer talked had a lot of fun i was like okay i'm really looking forward to meeting this soldier again and then the next day she goes off and just last week i got a call and she's dead uh died by a I got the funeral just a few days ago, and now that's the that's the thing that uh, sadly I know as as well as you do. It's a thing you have to accept as a fact of life. Sadly, when when once you're over over on there. So like I was the last person to film her. This whole thing, how we saved her with the car and everything, uh, I documented. Question though is, yeah, please. How do these guys see? the the mobilized the russian mobilized because currently we have a lot of events in russia where you now russian women are starting mass protests and i'm just thinking how relevant would it be if the mobilized from the russian side would go home that's one and two is there a difference between how the ukrainians see 
the mobilized between how they see the volunteers or or something or is a russian soldier just a russian soldier at all times honestly i can say one thing that they have for the russians and that's respect at this point because they are changing their tactics too we have this typical thing that happens russia goes into war it's chaos they're idiots and then Somehow, even though everything we hear is, oh, this general got killed, this people got fired, this and that. But they get creative and they get more effective because they are better at doing war industry because their country is basically a war country. That's the only way they function. So they kind of, while we go crazy because we are sane people who don't want war, I think Russians, the longer the war happens, just feel understood. They go like, yeah, this is the shit world we deserve. And this is just feeling better than when we have a normal country. Because when they have a normal country, they don't feel okay. They go like, no, NATO and this, this, everybody's hating us. Everybody wants to get us. Ah, what, what is happening? When there's a war, they go like, yeah, that's, that's, that's how life is supposed to be miserable. This is the thing, by the way, which I can relate to. There's a saying uh, in the, that's known about Russians all the time that for Russian, it's more important not that they have a good cow, but the neighbor's cow is dead. <laughs> yes. Yes. Basically, it's not about how shitty you live, as long as the neighbor's cow is dead, as long as the neighbor's life is shit. When the next person asks me, the next uninformed idiot person asks me, oh, how is the war going and why did the war happen? This is how I'm going to explain it. <laughs> well, thank you, because that's a saying that's from, I think... Uh, in, from 1920s, from early Gulag era, that's where like when people were sent to exile. That's the thing that people need to keep in their minds. I don't know if I said this in earlier version of podcast episodes, but my grandpa got detained by the Russians and it wasn't pleasing. It was not a good experience. He was supposed to be sent to Siberia. He was from the Wehrmacht. The Wehrmacht evolved. Bundeswehr, all of that happened. Years of reform. Everything changed and all of that. I don't think the Russian army did. If you read about the Russian army in Chechnya, it's the same army. Yeah, same thing. Same it's thing. the same people. And then everybody goes, like, oh, surprise, oh, what are they doing? Butcher, how could that happen? It's like, we're glad. We, got, we can be glad that we got Butcher and not Grozny in Kharkiv or something. Yeah. And the only difference between those two things is the weapons of the Ukrainians. It's not that the Russian army evolved, it's the Ukrainians shooting them. I would like to mention that I have made an episode about Grozny earlier. You should probably go and check it out. But people should, because I have, I have made episodes on Grozny. I saw a version of Don't Tell My Mother I'm in Chechnya, but it's Don't Tell My Mom I'm in Bakhmut. And it's the guy sitting on a balcony with a guitar and singing this song. And it's just destroyed Bakhmut in the background. And look up that video. It, one thing that makes it more horrifying to like the people who are not trained with like audio stuff. You can hear the mic is shit. But the mic is not shit because of the quality. You can hear the mic is shit because it was in proximity to an explosion. You can literally hear that in that video that the membrane of the microphone got fucked up by an explosion, which makes the video more terrifying because obviously the soldier was too. I got also reasonably close to explosions this time. I was uh, smart enough to uh, hear a boom and then go like, oh, I'm going to check out the boom. And then there was a second boom, of course, double type bombings. Yeah, the, the Anthony wasn't near, near you enough, I suppose. Yeah, I, I didn't even get to see Anthony. But he's going to narrate the documentary that I'm working on. So, oh, well, of course. 
we, we spoke about this off, off record. Uh, Victor just simply has to be my wedding photographer. You know, journalist society sticks together. Yep. That's the thing. Yep. 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 I'm going to expose you to the world. <laughs> I would really love to go to Latvia right now. I would love to do a lot of things. I don't want to go back to Ukraine. If I'm 100% honest, I don't want to go back. It sucks there. I mean, it's fascinating. It's the most intense, amazing experience of my life. And I'm 100% certain I am a better person because I went there. It was good for me. But I don't want to go there. But I don't have a choice because there's a fucking war. And it's our war. You have to stay home for at least a, a month. Uh, that's literally my plan. And then I fix the car and then I go back. You can do that, but just stay at home for a bit just because you'll, you will lose your attentiveness. You'll make stupid mistakes. Don't do that. Honestly, this is the thing like, okay, it's a little bit personal, but before the war, I was insanely depressed. There was some stuff happening here. I was so foggy in my head. One other thing is that I really hope that you, that some lessons that I've taught you actually have worked for you there, you know, in Ukraine. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, especially Odessa taught me a lot of things. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> Let us not talk about Odessa. Eventually, eventually, I will do a whole recap of that thing, detailed, because I have saved all the chats, all the voice message, all the pictures that exist from that day. They are oh, on no. my hard drive. Don't worry about it. They will come out. <laughs> and actually, this documentary series, one of the episodes will be only about you. Don't worry about it. It's like well, no. insane journalist now. But no, actually, I thought about, of course, our trip. Every day I was in Ukraine and I miss you a lot there. Um, but we don't have to meet in Ukraine. Let's better not. We can do stupid stuff not, outside yes. of Ukraine. We're very good at that. The stupidity follows us when, yeah. Yeah, that, is, that, that has been noticed. I would like to wrap this one up if possible. Um, what I need to talk about is how people can support Ukraine for free. This is a little bit of a guide that I want to set up right now. So you want to help Ukraine. First of all, look at your local organizations and give money to them if they are good ones. And if you don't know if they're good ones, ask around, ask me. I can ask around for you because um, some of them, but not a lot of them, some of them are a little bit on the shady side, but still honest people. It's just you get fucked up when you're in a war and you lose effectiveness in life. But besides the point. Do that. Next thing. Find people who give stuff you to Ukraine. I bet your wardrobe looks like shit. You have too many clothes. Give half of them to Ukraine. Most of them don't fit you anymore. Half of them doesn't look good on you anyways. So give them to Ukraine. They will be happy about it. Find an organization that goes there. Give them clothes. Give them things. Give them a present. If you can knit, knit some socks. Write a letter. Say, I'm thankful that you are protecting my world give it to them and they give it to a Ukrainian soldier. If you're in Germany, we do that for you. Yeah, that is that is number one thing where people tend to forget that it's it's our world. It is our war. It is literally our war. It's our world that is getting attacked because Russia is Russia. They don't change to be Russia when they have Ukraine. They change to be Russia when they get beaten up and we have to beat them up. So that's one thing. Next thing, which is very underestimated, which a lot of people on the right are doing always, which is write letters. Find out who your local parliament member is and write a letter to them. Talk about Ukraine. I can give you some ideas if you want to. They don't read your mails. 
they do read your letters. You can also ask me for some ideas too, by the way, if, you, if you're shy of, of, of Victor, but uh, you know. You can even give, get some better ideas from him. That's one thing. Next thing, let's say you are, and this is what I'm doing at the moment right now, because I'm also busy. I have multiple fundraisers for people set up at the moment. So let's say you have, you are from City X, let's say Wuppertal, great city, go there, know the name. Um, and uh, you want to get funding. You know what? I'm not a religious person, but go to your churches and say, hi, here are some people. They have a fundraiser. Get some kind of local connections. That's the most important thing. Get a local connection. Like there's a soldier from my town. There's this event. My town is a football industry town. Look at Kharkiv or look at Kriveri. It's also a football industry town. There's a connection. Now they have a reason to fund you. And then you go and they will collect money for you because churches are bored. Nobody goes there. They're trying to stay relevant. Actually, great people. I'm sorry. I'm, 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 I'm dissing them right now. But they will literally get money for you. And that's what I'm doing right now. I have a few dozen churches collecting money for my next trip to Ukraine. Go and do that. My own church, where I'm going to get married, uh, they have a collaboration with guys in Chernihiv. Ah. They have a direct connection with people in Chernihiv where they just, um, basically in between Lutheran uh, various parishes, yeah. they, they basically send money straight up to them and just they find out Great. what's needed and then they kind of, you know, set up this directly on the other side as well. It's not as effective as sending money closer to the front line, but you know what, just leave your money in Ukraine. At the end, I was like giving every... These guys, uh, then, then they do the delivery system in Ukraine. Ah, great, perfect, no notes. That's one thing you can do, find local people find connections, be a journalist. This is what journalists do. It's not always a good thing, but it's called localization. You find a reason for people to have a connection with it because Ukraine is far away. Find anything and then find an organization, find a place to give money. Write companies. I just had a list of companies and I just call them and go like, okay, I'm say the name of my city as many times as possible while I explain that I'm helping Ukraine. And they would go like, oh, okay, we have to give you some funding because most companies have to do fundraising. They have to donate stuff to save taxes. And you just give them a reason to do that. If you have a company, if you know people with a company, many suggestions, many suggestions where they can give their money to and save taxes, literally. So super important super important point find medical companies find companies that produce socks people need socks find companies that produce thermal underwear yeah socks are such a thing that truly does they are underestimated like my mom makes all of my socks shout out to my mom and they're great she makes them from wool and i'm not wearing anything else ever it's great i'm right now having a project with giving medical stuff to ukraine Go and find medical companies and ask them about stuff. If you don't find medical companies, you will 100% in your area have a certain type of company, which is the best one. Medical logistics. They are the ones who can just go like, oh, we don't give money. We just give this shit we have around. I have a very long list of supplies that they can just give to you. And you go, thank you so much. We're going to put your name on our project. And then you give your name to the project and all of that. That's the next thing. And one... Great thing to support Ukraine, fundraising, companies, local stuff, churches, fundraising, whatever. And then one last thing, make a Facebook group. Call it My Town X. Call it Riga for Ukraine. Call it... We, we have a lot of them in Riga. That's because, that's because we live in Riga and you know, you know how, it's, how it's like here. So Great city. 
but go and make one for your small city because if they just go like oh ukraine something something okay it doesn't work but make one that's localized and you have to yeah localize and personalize stuff so those are a few strategies you are sitting in your room scrolling on your phone doing instagram doing all of that nonsense stop that delete those apps start doing stuff for ukraine it's free ask me for tips ask christophs for tips find people in your country Everyone can do that. If you hear the people telling the stories, how they got to do fundraising, everyone starts the same. It's just like, oh, they need some stuff. We just ask people and then you do it. You just have to find a channel and there's lots of channels. All of these engineers are very set up, doing great work, more effective than ever and more in need of help than ever. That was my definitive guide to helping Ukraine. Thank you, Kristaps. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here again. And we will, of course, get you back later on once I, you know, become a bit more stable about everything myself. Like I said, trying to get married, lots of stuff happening around me. But uh, thank you. Thank you, Victor. And wow, I'm always amazed. And please stay safe and keep in touch. Yeah, I will stay safe. I'm very, I'm very happy we finally did this episode. One last thing, Kristaps uh, going to put uh, links in the description. One link, uh, which will about the next thing that we're funding at the moment. I'm going to send stuff to him because the uh, next mission to Ukraine. And second thing is that on the 1st of March, the first episode of my current project will come out, which is called Hearts Unyielding, Fixing Ukraine one car at a time and this is the documentary episode that i'm making to basically channel my energy into people knowing about ngos and the insane people that are working in ukraine hearts unyielding hearts unyielding okay how do you like the title we want a saddle knife said shit rocket early contender for episode title ah well honestly i found the name by chat gpt because i'm terrible at naming things but Nobody knows that. And since I didn't announce it now, I don't have a terrible deadline that will mentally crush me and make me produce this episode in one month. Tomorrow I'm doing the sound recording because, of course, we're writing the soundtrack specifically for this. And I talked enough. Christophs will say goodbye now. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you uh, for, for being here. And thank you for going to Ukraine. And thank you for all that you do. And remember, everyone, first of all, and secondly, Happiness is mandatory. You too, Victor, member of Totally Legitimate Western Journalists. Uh, Co-founder of uh, the Totally Legitimate Western Journalists. Yes, vice president. Vi oh, oh, vice president. Yeah, that works. And actually, least legitimate journalist in the organization. <laughs> okay, bye-bye. And um, say it after me. Happiness is mandatory. Happiness is mandatory. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border Show. If you have any questions or comments, go to our website, theeasternborder.lv, and leave a comment there. Or email us at theeasternborder at gmail.com. We'll be sure to answer. You can also follow us on social media and contact us there. If you enjoyed this episode, then leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends about us. It really helps us grow the show. And remember, happiness is mandatory.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.